today we're talking to Chashu Entertainment about their upcoming top-down Souls-like RPG that is Sands of Aura. You've been developing this game for about four years now, I believe, correct? Yeah, Somewhere. uh running getting in close to like five years now okay so probably from when you started development to right now there's been a ton of different people added onto the team i would assume things have changed like how much kind of has the development process just evolved oh, quite a bit the initial concept of the game was nothing like it is today one of the first things we did was uh um we had a uh, the code name the to be determined name of, of our game was we called terrarium and terrarium, the idea at the time, the idea was like you know you're traveling between different terrariums. Mm. Like, they, like these like encompass like plants, a little nature. They have little environments in them. And you're traveling between different uh, terrariums, and we like the idea. And then we we weren't sure what we wanted to do. Why it'd be more like you go out, gather resources, bring it back to your terrarium, and, and build that up. Or did you want to like be combat? And we actually sat on that kind of idea and played around with it for close to a, pretty close to like eight months to a year. And then we finally landed on something where like, okay, we, we love the idea of jumping between, you know, place to place. So then that's where islands kind of came into play. And then we wanted to be more expansive and more exploratory because when you're in Turing, you're kind of like encased in this uh, this space. Yeah. So then that evolved, and uh, and then we we didn't want to do you know um, in a, a, the normal ocean. And that kind of evolved into okay, what if we travel across like the desert? That's interesting. That's that's pretty cool. And then our our art director kind of went into it with these different ideas and started like out different concepts and from there we started slowly developing the world we're actually still developing the world and its history and its lore as we're kind of like, as we're developing mm -hmm. we don't really we don't really know where it's going to end we do have endings in mind mm -hmm. and we do have like different layouts in mind of how we want to get to the end at like at 1.0 but uh you know it's, it's still a growing process we're taking like we're kind of reflecting on what um, what work, what doesn't work, what a community likes, uh, what's interesting, you know, we at the end of the day we want to make a game that's not just fun for us to make, but also fun for the players to play. Roguelike and then top-down style of gameplay. Roguelikes obviously are very, very unique in that they're much more difficult than your standard kind of, I guess you say RPG game. So what kind of drew you to that specifically? And then top-down is just, now I would say it's a rarer thing to see in games nowadays. So what kind of drew you to that one as well? Well, our game isn't isn't quite roguelite, more like Souls-like, mm -hmm. right? Souls-like combat. Um, for many of our team members, they they liked challenging gameplay mm -hmm. and uh, Dark Souls drew quite a bit of them into it. Like we have some very avid Dark Souls, uh, soul, like uh, Bloodborne fans, and they love the combat system in those games. Like you're you're actively like trying to outsmart the enemy that you're facing or uh, react to it in a way that's um, that like if you make a mistake you should be punished for it mm -hmm. um, and then into so so that type of gameplay that type of combat style was was what made it fun for them to do and then beyond that one of the the interesting the fun part about Dark Souls and Soulsborne game is that explorative nature that you're not kind of guided along the entire way through but you kind of have to pay attention to the world that you're in to kind of create more of an immersive experience um, and that, that sort of drew our design philosophy in that direction. However, we don't want to kind of, we want to kind of um, move away from that a little bit. Instead of being soul-like, I think we want to 
be more souls like mm -hmm. um like we have some light elements uh that you would find in typical souls like games uh like like dark souls Bloodborne, uh and, and others like that out on the market but one of the difficult part with kind of say hey we're souls like is because i think a lot of souls like games they they expect they you take to take advantage a certain, a certain way yeah, they expect it to be a certain way, expect it to be a certain difficulty, as well as a camera perspective has been a pretty big topic for us too. Like you just mentioned, like it's interesting to see that top-down kind of camera perspective. Mm -hmm. We made that decision on an artistic sense as well as a gameplay sense. Also coming from a small development team, kind of making a full 3D expansive game. There's challenges to that uh, in the sense that you, you have to make sure the world is optimized and you're kind of limited, much more limited in like what you can see artistically. Mm -hmm. Uh, even it, you, you do get that in 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 the top down view, but I, we we took advantage of that in the sense that you know now you're kind of playing the game in a different perspective. You're playing with a more verticality. You're not just like looking up and then trying to like you know jump to the ledge, but like now you're looking down, but you're trying to like get higher so you can see more of the world. Mm -hmm. And quite a bit of our levels are designed that way. Like the higher you get, the more of the world you see. And it's like a whole new feeling and a whole new like exploration. Kind of tell me about the uh, the game world itself. You know, it's an open world game, so there's a ton of emphasis on story and a ton of emphasis on exploration. So kind of touch on how big is the world, um, and then we'll kind of go from there. So our world is called Talonel, mm -hmm. and um, it's it's quite large. In the center of the world, we have this thing called the Pillar of Entropy, sort of like the the nexus of magic of, of everything that's causing the world to be filled with sand and, and ruin and corruption. So what the players are experiencing right now in early access is just a, a small corner of the world actually. And uh, they, they've, they've probably gotten in touch with maybe 10 or eight to 10 different islands right now. Some small ones kind of a little bit hidden um, for the players to kind of like discover. Uh, but that by the time, by the end of the game, we actually have a whole lot more planned. Uh, one of the, when we were first designing the game, we were trying to break the islands into different sizes, like smaller islands, like, you know, you just go in there, explore a little bit of ruins, maybe get some rewards for finding like a, like a piece of armor or finding a chest to kind of like loot something. Mm -hmm. um, and then to like more medium size where there's a bit more engagement, more class involved. And then one of the things that we, you don't really see just quite yet in the early access is something we, at the, at the beginning of development, deemed as kingdoms. Okay. So part of the world in the, before it's kind of going the history of it, um, there were these three different races. Like human, we call them humans. Uh, we have another race called Pharaohs, which is like um, these magical beings that imbue their essence and they're matching their souls into different armor pieces and armor crafts. Their whole uh, philosophy behind them is that they craft their own armor. The higher class they are, the the fancier their armor looks, right? Or the stronger their armor looks, and they imbue themselves into those. Uh, and then we have something called the Hashari. They're more like insectoids, uh, you know, but they have a, they, they work more close to a hive mind, but they're they're very um, brutal in nature. Mm -hmm. um, and then these three that became, uh, you know, the sort of three races. And then in human kingdoms, uh, in a fashion where humans kind of, there's always conflict involved. And part of the reason why the world came the way it is, is because uh, the human, one of the human kingdoms, dove into sort of like forbidden magic and ended the way. It, it did now today in, in the world of now. So these different kingdoms are going to be places, large, large, expansive levels that players would, we would hope to spend, you know, a lot of time exploring all the nooks and crannies, kind of learn more and more about the history of the world that we haven't even 
you know, introduced into the game just quite yet. And you said the world itself is still kind of growing. You're still kind of adding more and more to it at this point. We plan to add like, you know, 10, at least 10 to 12 more, like 10 to 12 more islands. And that's ranges from different sides. Like the kingdom size is really like, huge, expansive island, really, really major, uh, major content that just going to revolve around those. And then a lot of smaller islands, more exploratory. Um, we don't want to players to kind of go from like main story quest from quest point to quest point. We really want to encourage players to travel on in the sand, the sea of sand, and and view, check out all the different islands. Is scope creep ever an issue? Has it been something you've had to dial back at any point, or is it not something you really? I'm assuming it's something that's kind of been a major issue for you guys, or an issue at least. <laughs> I think I think it's hard for any development team to not have scope creep up on them. Mm -hmm. um, because you, you're working on something for so long, eventually you come up with these like crazy, insane ideas, mm -hmm. and you're like, "Oh man, we have to have this." And then we're trying to like tell, talk ourselves out of, you know, particular ideas, mm -hmm. and um, we say, "Okay, can we do this?" And then we get to a point, like, and then we say, "Okay, maybe we can do it." And then we ask ourselves, "Do we really, really want to have this in the game?" And then eventually, okay, yeah, we really, really, really have to have this in the game, and then that starts to start to add up. Okay. Um, it's sort of actually kind of, uh, I think, what why um, we were kept on pushing early access further further back. We uh, initially, we wanted to be kind of out in early access a few months after the demo uh, that you, you you experienced during the 15 festival. But throughout that time period, just getting all the feedback from the players, we decided, hey, we need to pull certain stuff back mm. and refocus on different aspects of the game. Because at the end of the day, we want the players to enjoy the gameplay on top of the story. The story is supposed to be this extra juicy book that the players can kind of dive into, but the gameplay itself isn't fun. You know, that's, that's that, was a, that would be more of an issue. So uh, scope creep does happen quite often, but I think we've gotten pretty disciplined in telling ourselves, hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so tell me about the world, the different environments kind of that players will be exploring. Uh, how, do they, how do they vary as you kind of explore? I think one of the islands right now that we have accessible is called Cinderhold. It's like this lava-y island, it's kind of uh, volcanic and molten. Um, it's quite hot. Mm. So we get to that island, you land on it, and then you start. To, the player will start to notice that they're moving a little slower. Mm. So we do have some environmental effects that we want to play around with different islands. Like a hot island should make you feel, you know, more fatigued, mm. you know, over time. And then we incorporate different gameplay elements, like there's water pots, you know, allow you to kind of refresh yourself and then kind of move forward without without the encumbrance of, of heat. Um, so we, we, we do want to kind of play around with the environment a little bit more environment effect. Um, we might have, you know, a, a more frigid island uh, or a level to explore and that kind of slow you down or make you more vulnerable. Um, but we're playing with different, around with different ideas. Um, some of our community has made some really, really cool ideas uh, around that kind of concept. So we might we might take a couple and see where we, where it takes us. What about the uh, the concept of the whole day and night cycle? So does your game have that? Does it have seasons at this point? Or is that not really something that's been implemented at this point or ever will be? It's not implemented. Uh, we, we talked about it very briefly in, in design. Um, and we consider what value does it add to the gameplay? Um, there, there isn't isn't uh, enough uh, value that we have thought of yet mm -hmm. to, to incorporate it. But you know, like like it, like we were talking about earlier with scope creep, if somebody decides to one day have an epiphany of how to actually make day and night work really really well in a game, mm -hmm. and we would have you know a month of discussing whether or not we want to do that, it may it may pop up. But um, at the moment, no. Tell me about the story itself. You know, there's a ton of lore into this game, but kind of. 
talk to me about the story behind the game and then the main character you play as. The main character is a character you create, so they're really, you can eventually will let the players kind of name them mm -hmm. however, they, however they wish okay. um, and create them however they want. But the story behind that is that we, uh, um, the character starts off as Starspire. They have been raised by the Remnant Knight. Uh, a mentor knight named Lawrence uh, since since birth to become a remnant knight. And remnant knights are this like really exclusive order that has been tasked to station on different islands to kind of like take care of the inhabitants of those islands so that the world can still kind of continue on. Starspire is one of those few refugees and the one the Lawrence was the, the knight in charge of kind of helping the island from corruption. And, Things of that sort. Certain, certain events have occurred in the world where now um, the the player needs to you know step up. He has to now take up the mantle of, of becoming a Remnant Knight. Oh, and then as the, as the story dives into further, you kind of learn a bit more about how the character can be. What is the Remnant Order, and how did the world you know get so desolate, and where did this corruption come from? And then uh, early on, you start to see this in the early access. You kind of get the first glimpse of this this magic that's happening in the world. How about the story's progression? So, you know, it's an RPG, so how much of the side quest element comes into play? You know, there's a ton of focus on exploration and looking around these different islands. So kind of how do you progress as from where you start to kind of where that end point is, um, even though that end point's kind of a moving target at this point? The main quest line is fairly straightforward. As we develop and add more content, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll players with will going from, you know, islands that we want the players to absolutely hit, you know, um, and then bosses that we want the players to actually encounter and, and events that they to kind of build into the story to learn the overarching story of our goal of why uh, Talamel is the way it is. But side quests and all the extra islands are very, very important to, to us in the gameplay. I believe that without those side quests to kind of add in that extra bit to the of the world you wouldn't you would miss a lot of stuff so i know you'd mentioned the ending um is still kind of you know you haven't finished everything with it talk to me about it's an rpg there's a side quest element some of the story itself can be changed as you go forward so how does the whole multiple endings come into play or is kind of the ending of this game you mentioned it was fairly straightforward is it kind of just set and you kind of just get there at some point and that's it or is there kind of a thought to present these multiple endings? That's a great question. Um, one thing that I think we do want to do is with our game is that we do have multiple endings in our game. Um, kind of kind of go into our philosophy of choice and your decision matters in, in district combat. Your, your choice and decisions that you do in the game uh, and the story, and the story portion of it should matter as well. So that kind of gives you a different ending. Um, I don't want to give away too much, but the further we dive into early access, the more the players will kind of see. Uh, not every side of the story is is right, and you kind of like you're given choices like what is right, what is wrong. You make that decision, and ultimately your decision can affect the future of of Talamel, like and the and its inhabitants, uh, where that kind of goes to be. Uh, going forward, um, you know, beyond beyond uh, the story of the player, um, and then tying into that with the side quest stuff too, um, a lot of the different characters that the players would kind of interact with, they may or may not be there if they don't choose to do certain stuff or certain things. Like 
if a character、um, says, "Hey, I'm, you know, I'm dying of this poison, this thirst,、mm-hmm. you know, can you find something for me to kind of save me?" And the player has a choice. Okay, I can go and find it, give it to you, and then save you. Or the player can, you know, think, "Okay, I'm gonna go and do this other thing first, and come back to save you." By that point, that character may have already perished, and then that character wouldn't have been saved. You wouldn't have brought back to the Starspire. And how these different characters, when they enter, interact with Starspire, they might、um, different things might occur at Starspire. Like you might unlock different.、Um, Vendor options,、mm-hmm. uh, or you might unlock different side quests to kind of continue on their little story,、uh, or they can,、uh, you know, affect other NPCs、uh, down the line too.、Um, it's not at the moment in the early access is it quite as expensive,、um, but、uh, that's only because we haven't there isn't as many people that you can save at the moment. But as we develop into early access,、uh, more who you save and how you save them is going to become an important question. So you mentioned Starspire quite a bit at this point. Talk to me about that as like an overarching thing within the game. Well, Starspire is very important for our our player character.、Um, that's his home.、Mm-hmm. Uh, that's their that's their home, and they grew up there, and they want to make sure you know、uh, um, it's well provided for. But also being a, a remnant knight, and your your duty is to kind of help anybody and everybody that you possibly can. So when you go out there, you kind of bring these people back. You may make the, like the sort of like the choice that you made was because of a knightly duty that you want to bring these these individuals back.、Um, so a, a lot of the things that happen for the player too is that we want to encourage like players to go out to explore. But there's always home.、Mm-hmm. You always have you always have a home to go back to, regardless of how far you go out into the world. There, you still have a home. This is where you grew up. This is where you're gonna get stronger. This is where you upgrade, like, and in the gameplay sense, you upgrade your armor, your your weapons, or or just like you know provide、uh, different materials for the vendors or purchase different materials for vendors. There's different things that kind of help grow. Your your little refuge. What kind of different things can you get done when you're there? I'm assuming you can kind of craft armor. You can buy different things from different vendors. Kind of how does that come into play? Well, right now, what you can do at the、um, at Starspire is to craft different weapons、mm. at the forge.、Uh, we have a forge where you can craft different weapons. It's also where you can upgrade your weapons,、um, become stronger, as well as upgrading your armor. One of the things you can do is go into a store. You find a character named Salda. He's what we call a rune carver, and he would help you、uh, imbue or remove runes in your armor pieces to kind of like your stats. Runes in our game are essentially the stats for your character. Instead of a traditional leveling up system, the way we level up is through the gear that you acquire and through the runes that you find. So each of the runes would have to possess health, armor, hydration, you know, etc. And you kind of implement and put those into your armor. And then when you upgrade your armor, you'll get to the point where you'll have more rune slots.、Um, and sometimes you might find stronger runes or rare runes, and you're like, okay, I don't want to destroy this. So the rune carver is there to kind of help you safely remove it, add a different rune. Armor is not something we can craft in our game.、Mm. Armor, we want to be more unique、uh, in our game. Something you find out in the world. How does the glint come into play in the game? The currency. How does that? Are you using it to buy like different gear? Are you using it for crafting? How does that kind of work within the game itself? Glint, I say, I think is the synonymous、um, uh, game feature or game mechanic such as souls. Okay. Game. Um, so you pick it up every t- every enemy that you kill、uh, and quests you complete or things you find in the world and will reward you with glint.、Uh, but when you die, you drop 
all the glint that you've accumulated and you have just that one chance to pick it up again. If you die again, then you know, you, you lost it all. Kind of similar to like in Souls game where if you die in time without people picking up your souls, you basically lost all of your souls mm. and sort of in, this, in some sense like your, your, your progression material. So Glint is very important in the sense that you need Glint to upgrade your character. Glint is used for everything in the game in terms of crafting. Uh, you need to have Glint to build craft weapons. You need to have Glint to uh, upgrade those weapons as well as upgrade armor. Um, acquiring blessings, which in our game is sort of the skill tree or the talent tree in, in the RPG sense of it. Uh, you unlock the different tiers, you unlock it. Um, vendors, you know, use Glint. And so Glint is a very, very important resource for the characters to have, especially if they want to be able to upgrade themselves or just try different things. So with this game, there's a ton of emphasis, obviously, on the combat itself. So kind of talk to me about, I guess, the different ways, the different styles of uh, combat, the different weapons you're going to be able to use. Just kind of briefly tell me about that. So currently there are six different fighting styles uh, or animation sets. Um, I, I'm not sure how you want to, most players want to kind of categorize it. For us, we call it fighting styles. So there's the one-handed uh, slashing. It's a you know, normal one-handed sword. And then there's two-handed slashing. There's two-handed version of that. There's stabbing of weapons, one-hand, two-handed. Depending if it's one-handed, it's more like a dagger stab. If it's two-handed, it's more like a spear stab, you know? Mm. Uh, there's, there's, there's dual wield, which we, I, I personally love dual wielding games. You know, any, any type of character I make, I almost always wanted to dual wield. So I made sure to get that in there. We have another weapon called Glaive Weapon. Uh, that's been pretty fun for some players as well. Um, these different animation sets, these different kind of dictates how the characters are able to approach stuff. So certain weapons, animation sets are a bit slower than others. Certain are faster, certain do more damage mm. and, you know, and less damage but faster. There's a balance in there that we're, we're still tweaking as we go. So, so there's that aspect of combat is essentially the, the bread and butter of, of everything. And then we add these other layers to combat with weapon crafting, like pommels would add in a different weapon effect. And then we have codices or codexes that add in another effect on top of that. And then you kind of like eventually find the style that you like and then find the special pommel or codex that you want to kind of build your character towards and then you kind of upgrade it in that, in that level. And then we have other uh, another mechanic in there called Spellblade Gems. That's sort of like the uh, the more flashy part of, of combat. You know, you have your fire element, uh, frost element, lightning elements. We're going to add more elements to the game. Uh, we have a couple planned in the back burner, but we haven't quite introduced those just yet. Um, so there's a little bit teaser there. Uh, but that kind of adds another element to the gameplay because whenever you attack, you build up corruption bar, and then when you unleash a special attack, you fill up these little pips or these little charges mm. that you can use for your spellblade gem. Um, and you'd mentioned the whole, you know, the blessing concept kind of acts as your skill tree in a sense. Can you kind of go into a little bit more detail on how that works exactly within the game? Initially, it's kind of like in most skill trees, right? You the first bit, uh, first couple tiers are more passive, in um, you know, like more health attack mm -hmm. um, and we then we but we don't we don't want to just it be a stat buffer right we want to make it a little bit more fun kind of like a direct a player into more builds uh skill tree is going to be kind of reworked as we go to kind of create more of that balance and make each point feel fun and worth it to to pick up then they also have some that you know you just want you want more defense you know, so that we can we will have something like that but further down the tree, we you know you'll get like the third tier right now. You'll you'll pick hey which weapon 
do you like the best? And you kind of specialize with like blades or, or dual wielding or whatever you enjoy. And then it kind of enhances that weapon types or that animation sets or fighting styles um, effectiveness. What kind of, when you go into any development, there's a lot of upsides to it, obviously, but there's also some things that could be construed as negative or things that, you know, are, are hard to kind of get past in terms of marketing or budgeting or whatever it could be. Kind of what for you guys proved to be one of the harder parts of creating this game and getting it out there? I would say with the lack of resources, um, we kind of have to kind of make five with what we have. Uh, but we've been fortunate enough to kind of find some very, very talented individuals to kind of like, uh, to kind of cover a lot of the weaknesses that we had. So our team started originally with six members and we've been slowly growing to about, um, about 20 members now on our team. And each of them bring a different asset, a different skill set table. So the weaknesses that we've had, you know, like three years prior, um, is is quickly being remedied by these uh, by these talented individuals. Like uh, you know, um, like one of the things we lacked was a real, really good uh, tech artist to kind of bring different um, things to life. Like our sand ocean, I think if you if you've seen it before, uh, was a bit you know did look very desert like. And but that in, in our vision, in our mind, we wanted to listen a bit more because it's, it's more magic laced. Mm -hmm. And we brought in a, a tech artist to kind of help us bring that to life because we didn't we didn't know the techniques to do that. And then having this movie to help us kind of like focus on that has been a huge huge boon to us. And then you know different artists kind of help speed up the process as well. Um, so coming from a small team, from an indie team, like you know you you're limited a lot of times with you know one your skill, your experience, and two just the manpower. 2021, you only get, we only got two months left in it. But what do you have planned in terms of the roadmap for those two months, if anything? Uh, well, one of the big things right now is that we are uh, extremely focused on the community feedback and the responses to what we have already. Um, we want to make sure that what we have right now uh, works and plays as we intended to, as well as taking the feedback to improve different aspects. Combat improvements have been made over the past week. We just recently released a combat patch, update patch, to kind of like take in all this feedback. Some players felt it was slow or sluggish or, you know, some of the words being thrown out are funky. Mm -hmm. um, but without that type of actionable feedback from the community, we weren't really quite sure how to address that. But we've been really, really fortunate with the, the kind of feedback we've been getting. This uh, next couple weeks, actually, that's our major focus. Mm. Taking in community feedback, taking community response, making changes and adjustments so that uh, our players have a really, really nice experience. And after that, we'll be saying it will be uh, focusing on the next content patch. In terms of like a release date, do you guys obviously you know i know you're in early access you're still adding a bunch of stuff to this game but do you kind of have a target you want to hit well the projection for based off of our current roadmap is that we projected to be somewhere you know in, in like early to mid 2023 mm -hmm. so you don't want to stay in early access too long because it is the, the nature of our game uh dives into a whole lot more story elements so we don't want to kind of keep the players waiting for like you know a year long uh, season essentially like an episode like you're watching a television show for, you know, for an entire year you know um but uh we don't we with development you never know what's going to happen and what bumps you might find along the way and the one thought that comes to mind before we kind of close things out have you guys so i know it's launching to steam obviously pc have you thought about consoles at this point uh porting it to like nintendo or playstation places that really kind of embrace indie titles have you thought about it at this point or not yet i, I think for the dev team we would love 
the opportunity to be able to port a game onto the consoles, onto Nintendo. Uh, I think for, for me, one of my, my aspirations is to be able to play Sands of War on Nintendo Switch. Um, but uh, we have, uh, that's kind of up to our, our publisher, Freedom. They, they're, they're in charge of helping us, uh, you know, maintain that contact. So we, we hope, it's, it's a hopeful that we uh, would get to that point and we, we, we're going to strive to get to that point. Um, but whether or not that happens, there's there's no definite, definitive answer for that. Tell me about where people can find you. Where's your social media at? People can find us on Twitter. We're at, at Sands of Aura uh, and on Instagram at Sands of Aura. Uh, we have a website, www.sandsofaura.com. Um, you can check us out on uh, Freedom, our publisher website, uh, freedom.gg. Um, and obviously, we, we and, and of course, we have our Discord. We encourage everybody to join our Discord. You can find the Discord link on our website, on our Steam page. Uh, we also have the game available on the Epic Store as well. And there you have it. That is Chashu Entertainment's upcoming title, Sands of Aura. I had a blast doing this interview. I had a blast playing this game. It looks very intriguing, and I can't wait for it to fully release in 2023. But until that happens, make sure you go check the game out in early access. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, I am Nick. This is the side quest, and I will see you all later. Take it easy.